friends, uh, it's Bill Allen. It's Bill Allen uh, from a different perspective uh, because Bill Allen is kind of technologically challenged and so my laptop is saying that it's not seeing any way to be able to videotape this. So what you're seeing is Bill's uh, and hang in there with me. And so hopefully this will go well and, and we'll just see. Uh, I'm trying to uh, get in a good place where you can see me all right. It looks like I've got about uh, half of a face, and hopefully this will be this will be all right. Um, if you uh, see anything or hear of anything and want to put a little comment out there that says, Bill, it's coming through okay, or Bill, I can't see you, I can't hear you, um, Bill, you haven't gotten any better looking than you ever were before. Um, what something like that? Just, uh, uh, but it's great to see you. It looks like I, our good friend Lenny and Joe are there. Uh, my old friend Carrie is there. Yay, Carrie! Miss you and your family, um, and everybody in Arlington. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, this was a, a little bit crazy. Uh, my friend Luann is there. Well, Luann, it's great to see you as well. This is a little bit different than what I've typically done uh, because what I've typically done is use my laptop and uh, unfortunately my laptop decided, nope, I'm not going to let you videotape on me today, so you'll have to figure that out later. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's great to uh, have you with us. It's great to see you. We're going to be uh, studying from uh, Matthew chapter 12 and uh, and maybe get into chapters 13 and 14, do a little bit of talking about some parables. And uh, uh, great to see Larry and Lynn and Debbie and some others. Um, and uh, uh, just a wonderful blessing to have you, have you here. Um, and so where we've been, we've been going through Matthew chapters 1 through 12 almost. We're almost through uh, with chapter 12, and then we'll get into chapter 13. Trying to do a couple of chapters out of Matthew every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock. And uh, so it looks like um, it looks like I'm getting the message that says uh, you can see me and hear me, and so that's great. I'm just going to keep going. You know, I've been preaching for over 40 years, and I I pretty much once I get rolling, I just keep rolling. And if crazy things happen in the auditorium, I'm kind of oblivious in a way. Uh, I do notice some things, but not everything. And so, uh, at any rate, it's great to have everyone here. It's I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. Again, uh, Matthew, uh, we do a study on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons at 4. I go for about an hour, maybe a little less. Um, and uh, anytime you can join in, that's great. Anytime you have to leave, uh, that's great too. You can see me, what I'm doing. I can't see you, what you're doing. So it puts you in a very good spot. Um, and so let's get to it. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, we looked at the first part. There's a lot in there in these first 12 chapters. Uh, but there's something that Jesus says that's really interesting in um, about halfway through, a little bit more in chapter 12. And where we start is in verse 38 uh, with this uh, interesting thing that Jesus says about, uh, about Jonah. Um, verse 38 of Matthew 12, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, which is another way of saying the scribes, uh, said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Um, there's a lot in uh, the gospels about people wanting to uh, see a sign from Jesus. And certainly there's a lot in scripture that says signs and wonders, amazing, miraculous things accompanied those uh, who were speaking a special message from God. 
Um, and we see a lot of those in people like Elisha. He had a lot of miracles uh, associated with him. We see it in the first century church. We see it in the life of Jesus. Um, and, uh, and so Jesus answers this in verse 39. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Uh, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Uh, Jonah sent to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, which was the world power at the time. That great story of Jonah, I love it so much. Jonah hears the word from God and immediately takes the first ship he can find to the opposite end of the earth. And they have that storm. Uh, it's such a great story in the book of Jonah. And um, Jonah gets cast into the sea at his request, knowing that all of the storm and the difficulties they're experiencing are from God. God provides a huge fish. Jonah repents from the belly of the fish. The, the fish spits him up on dry land. And then Jonah ultimately goes uh, and does what the Lord had initially said and said, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And then he goes to Nineveh and, and Nineveh repents from the king down to the lowest pauper. And, and Jonah is mad because he, they're, they're his enemies. And, um, and, and Jonah, I preached a sermon on this uh, based on John Willis's material. And, um, and, and he titled his chapter, uh, God and the Typical Israelite. Uh, Jonah being arrogant and proud and, and unwilling to rejoice in the repentance of his enemies. Um, except I have uh, titled it Joan, God and the Typical Christian because I think sometimes we're too much like Jonah in that respect. Um, Jesus associates Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights with himself being in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, and they didn't get it. They didn't understand that sign at all until after his resurrection and after uh, th some things were put together for them through the Holy Spirit. Um, and then Jesus also gives another example, uh, the example of the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, uh, uh, that went to hear Solomon, and then after seeing and hearing everything that she saw and heard there, said not even the half has been told. Uh, it's even far greater than what I had heard. Um, and and so uh, that's, that's the kind of thing that Jesus says, because he says, you know, Nineveh repented. Uh, this queen came a long distance, and uh, no trains, planes, or automobiles, uh, with apologies to John Candy there, the late John Candy. Uh, but the, she went on her own because it was that important. And, and Jesus says, look, you've got, you've got everything right here. Uh, why aren't you uh, repenting like they did? And we say, oh boy, if I, could, have, if I could, could see Solomon, if I could hear Jesus and sit at his feet, I would definitely follow him. Well, we have all of that. We have all of that. Um, and so the same message could be given to us that Jesus gives uh, to the others. Um, and so we keep reading uh, in verse 43. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, Matthew 12, 43, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. 
Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Um, maybe Matthew includes that here with this, uh, with this narrative because it, it is kind of associated with what he had said earlier about how the religious leaders, instead of repenting at the words of Jesus, they, they felt like they had, to, uh, uh, they had to criticize him and attribute some of his uh, great works not to God but to Satan. And, and so Jesus talks about sinning against the Holy Spirit by not attributing to the Holy Spirit the work of God. And, uh, and not turning and repenting at the will and the words uh, of the Lord. And, um, and so Jesus tells this interesting story too, and it's a reminder to us that we have to be vigilant. We, we always have to be vigilant, even when we're in a good place and things are going well. Um, we remember that Satan is very active, he's very powerful, he does his work really, really well, and he knows how to get to us. And, uh, and so we have to be ever on our guard. And I think that's what that story there at the end of Matthew 12, um, towards the end of Matthew 12 is saying. And then the chapter ends with this little story about, um, about um, Jesus' mother and brothers. Uh, yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters apparently, half brothers and sisters through uh, Mary uh, and Joseph. Um, and they did not uh, follow him. They did not follow him until later, and we've talked about this some um, uh, with James and Jude, the writers of two of the New Testament books, uh, were brothers of Jesus who did not follow him. And yet, after his resurrection, James saw the resurrected Lord. He saw him, and it changed his life forever. And he wrote the book of James. He became a leader of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, Jude, the Lord's brother, uh, wrote that one chapter book of Jude, uh, towards the end of the New Testament. But at this time, while Jesus is alive, they didn't want much to do with him being the Messiah. Maybe it's because they lived in the same house. Maybe it's because they were un unaware of the power that, that Jesus had. Um, Mary certainly knew all of the stories from the time of his conception uh, through the Holy Spirit. Um, but at this time anyway, she continues to follow him. Uh, but whether they were disciples or not, obviously that's something that takes place later, it seems. Verse 46 of Matthew 12, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Uh, very harsh words, it seems. Uh, but what Jesus co continually calls us to in the Gospels is obedience. Uh, to, to hear his message, to hear his will, and to actually try to put it into practice in our lives. Um, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, as we've seen in Matthew 6, verse 33, to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow, follow Jesus. Uh, put him uh, before everything else in our lives. Uh, that, is a, that is our calling, and that's what Jesus calls us uh, to do. 
So it's nice to see my sister-in-law, Joanne, on here, my neighbor, Janice, some dear, dear friends, uh, the Geralds. Uh, uh, Kim and I go back to youth group days in San Antonio at Lackland Terrace Church of Christ. And so it's great. It's great to have all of you. As we turn to Matthew 13, we start talking about the parables. And so before we get into the parables, a few things about it. First of all, if you really want to uh, uh, hear some uh, interesting sermons on the parables, uh, you can go to our website, westerwin.com, West, W-E-S-T, Irwin with an E, E-R-W-I-N, named uh, for the street that we've been on since 1885 here in Tyler, Texas. Uh, I haven't been the preacher that whole time, I want you to know, but um, the church has been around that long. And, um, and, and so here, uh, I preached a sermon series on the parables this past summer, and with each of them, I told a modern-day parable at the beginning. And uh, you can find those on our website under our live streaming uh, place and our social media and resources tab. Um, and look up the summer of 2019 and you'll see uh, those sermons on the parables. But a few things about, about the parables. Um, uh, we've called parables an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I, and I think that's pretty simplistic, but I think it's pretty accurate. Um, the parables are about common everyday things. As Jesus tells these stories, he tells them with a powerful punch that we kind of get and sometimes have trouble getting because of the 2,000 years of difference in uh, the stories and in the world, which is why I told some of the modern-day parables that uh, try to capture the same things that Jesus did, but in more of a modern-day uh, setting as we introduced each of the parables. Um, I like this quote from Matt Smethurst. He says, if God never confuses you, never troubles you, and never disagrees with you, then you're not staring at transcendence. You're staring at a mirror. And I think that's a very powerful statement. It's a reminder that um, uh, when we look to the Bible, when we look to the will of God, it's going to call us out on some things. And if it never does, uh, then again, as Matt says, we're, we're listening to ourselves. Uh, we have placed ourselves on the throne if we don't have any difficulty with the commandments that God is giving us. Um, and so when Jesus says we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow him, I kind of think he means that. When he says to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness and put that over our own will, I kind of think, think that's what he wants to do. Uh, as we read these parables, as we look at these parables, we hear Jesus telling earthly stories, but with a heavenly meaning. And most of the time, uh, those meanings will call us out on something if we're really listening to it and hearing what it has to say and applying it to ourselves uh, rather than to our neighbor or our friend. So a few things about parables. They're modern day. Uh, Jesus tells them based on his own setting culturally uh, in the first century. Uh, in Palestine. They're relevant, they're practical, they're concrete, they're very earthy, uh, very simple. Uh, telling it in a parable, a lot of times the end is a bit shocking. It's more than what, it's different than what you would expect. Uh, they're unforgettable and they're personally challenging. And as we think of these parables, such as the one of the most familiar ones, the parable of the prodigal son, um, uh, him coming home and being openly accepted by his father should shock us. 
You know, uh, here in East Texas, we wouldn't expect that to happen, but that's exactly what happens. Uh, when we uh, think about uh, all of the different parables and the parable, for example, of the Good Samaritan, Samaritans were outcasts. Uh, Samaritans were low, considered low lives by the Orthodox Jews of Jesus' day, and yet in that parable, it's not the priest or the Levite that are the heroes, it's, it's the outcast, it's the Samaritan. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what Jesus uh, does here. As we look at the stories that Jesus tells us in these parables, let's not look for points. Although as a preacher, I'm looking for three points in a prayer and an invitation. That's perfect. Um, that's not what Jesus does with the parables. Uh, what Jesus does with the parables is he, we should be asking the question, what's the point? There's a, there's a bit of a gotcha. Uh, there's a bit of a surprise. And as we apply it to ourselves, then what Jesus is saying, wants us to ask ourselves is, what is the point of this? Uh, what's Jesus trying to tell us? What is the message, the primary message? I think there are other applications, and the first one that we'll see is certainly that way, the parable of the sower and the soils. Um, but I think, there, I think the first step is to ask, what is the primary point of this parable. For those of you that are just now joining us, hello Donna and Christy and Jimmy, my friend from way back, and um, uh, my Tony Kashub. It's it's great to see you. Great to see you here, and Jenny. Hope Bill is watching too, Tony, because you know you and I both know that he needs this. Well, Bill is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, we're so much alike and so different, and he's one of the best friends I've ever had. Um, so we're talking parables and we're talking Matthew 13, uh, and Jesus asks us, what is the point? And so again, we want to, we want to search for that point, but not just for the person that we're thinking of that really needs to hear this, but how we apply it to ourselves. Um, that's what, uh, Jesus wants us to do. So with that in mind, let's start with the first parable in Matthew 13, and I'm going to go against 2000 years of tradition here. I, I don't think this is uh, the parable of the sower. I don't think the sower is the point of the story. The guy planting these different kinds of seeds, I think we can apply that and use it, but I think the story is about the soils, not the sower. Uh, whereas I think it's important for us to be sowing the seed. You remember that old song, if you've been in the church a while, are you sowing the seed of the kingdom, brother? Well, I. That's a good question for us to ask because we need to be doing that. I don't think that's the point of this parable. The parable is really not about the sower. The parable is about the soils. And what the parable is calling us to do is to ask ourselves, what kind of soil am I? How do I receive the word of God? That is the real uh, question. So we'll continue to study through Matthew and we'll start in chapter 13. Matthew 13, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, Matthew 13 verse four, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, 
where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Parable of the sower and the soils. We'll talk about it and look at it and what that might mean and how it applies to us in just a moment because a few times in the Gospels, Jesus actually explains one of the parables. Uh, he does that a few times, not often, but a few. This is one of them. Uh, the disciples came to him, verse 10, and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? I think their real question was, what were you talking about? What is the point of your story? Um, but Jesus replied in verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, hear with their ears, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their, uh, with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they see, they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but didn't see it and to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. The people in the first century in Jesus' day, his disciples, his close apostles, were especially blessed. And the prophets, including Isaiah, looked ahead to this time and wanted to see more about it, uh, like the book of Hebrews says, but um, God was saving that for us. Um, and Isaiah has given that call in Isaiah 6 and in other places, and and he is told, look, they're, they're not going to respond very well to you. We... we uh, heard that in Matthew chapter 10 as well when Jesus said look you may be my follower but that doesn't mean your life is going to be wonderful you're going to have challenges and a lot of people are going to turn away from you even some of your own family um, because they don't want to hear the word of the Lord uh, but you need to remember that I will be with you and that you can continue through this with my presence uh, and through your obedience and through your uh, humility, Jesus says you can deny yourself and follow me. Um, and so Jesus tells them, look, you're really blessed because you're able uh, to hear this. Um, earlier, he had talked about uh, one of the reasons why he doesn't tell people who he is and, and tells those who know that, who have been healed by him, not to, not to say anything to anybody because He's not going to toot his own horn. He's not going to blow the trumpet uh, in, the, in the middle of the street uh, to let people know. But as he shares these words, he does so in a way uh, that is a very powerful way, but some people don't get it. And so let's uh, consider uh, what this parable of the sower and the soils means. Again, the emphasis is not on the sower. The emphasis is on the soils. Yes, we're supposed to sow the seed. Yes, we're supposed to share the message. That's not Jesus' primary point here. His primary point is for us to ask ourselves again, what kind of soil am I? And so verse 18 of Matthew 13, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So it's thrown out on the path, 
It doesn't go anywhere other than that. It's dusty, it's hard, people walk all over it. It just doesn't take. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those ones in the rocks, and we've seen them, you know, weeds grow in rocks because they don't have to have uh, a very good soil and they don't have to go deep. But when you don't go deep, that means that whatever happens, whatever comes up can destroy you. And that's what Jesus says about those who hear the word and don't allow it to take root. Don't set that foundation. Don't take the time to study and to learn and to grow. What happens is when, when they're called upon to give up something for their faith, they're not inclined to do it because the roots don't go very deep. Uh, when persecution comes, they're not willing to suffer uh, for the cause of Christ, to deny themselves, as we have said, to put the kingdom of God first. Um, and so Jesus says those are the ones who fall upon uh, the rocks. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Um, certainly these last two describe a lot of us in this country and the path as well, uh, because we have been very blessed. Even in the midst of a pandemic, uh, still we're some of the most blessed people on earth. Um, and, and that can work to our disadvantage. I was reading some from my uh, daily Bible reading, and I'm in Mark and Acts today. And, and in Mark uh, is that passage where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and, and he says, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus you know, says, well, you can follow the commandments. And he says, hey, I've done all that. And then Jesus tells him the one thing that would turn him away. Um, he could have told him anything, and the man would have said, yeah, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, check, check, check. But there was one thing that was standing between him and, and obedience to the Lord and a heart fully given over to God. And that was, that was what Jesus is talking about right here. He was in the thorny ground. And he, was, he would not be willing to give up his riches and put God first. And so he went away sorrowful. And Jesus said, you know, it's tough. It's hard for the wealthy uh, to feel that sense of dependence upon God and to come and be my disciple. It's possible if they turn to God, because with God, all things are possible, Jesus says in that passage. But it's no doubt that the cares and the, and the concerns and the wealth of this world can, can tie us up and tie us down. I think one of the good things about being sheltered at home and having to put a lot of other things on stop is that we have had a lot of opportunity to be close to God and close to family and reflect and study and I, I think that when this pandemic is over, will we continue to put God first? Or will we go back into the thorny ground and, and let all these other things take priority and uh, come between us and the Lord? Um, it's, it's a pretty serious question. Um, and so one more kind of soil. Again, this is the parable of the soils. There are four types of soil, the, the road, um, the rocks, the thorns, and finally the good ground in verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
This is the good ground. This is the good soil, the soil that hears that word and accepts it and uh, understands it and studies about it and lets it confront them and, and actually lets it change them. Uh, that it helps them to decide, hey, I'm going to put God and his will first in my life. And this is the soil that produces a great crop. Um, and Jesus says, this is the kind of soil that you want to be. Uh, you want to be the good soil, uh, not the soil like on the, in the thorns that is too concerned about worldly things, not the soil that's in the rocks that refuses to have any foundation at all. And so when you're called upon to give something up, because uh, that's what God is calling you to do through his word, you refuse to do so. Uh, or the soil that's the path, that's the road that never really gets a shot at all. Um, we want to be the good soil. So keeping up with the agricultural metaphors, Jesus tells the parable of the weeds and the wheat, beginning in verse 24. In the old translation, the tares, T-A-R-E-S. Jesus told them another parable, Matthew 20, uh, 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Verse 30. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the weed, the wheat and bring it into my barn. Well, as Matthew continues on, uh, he, he doesn't go right to the explanation, but I'm going to. Uh, he tells a couple of other parables about the kingdom, the parable of the mustard seed uh, and the yeast, uh, the leaven, uh, that talks about the growth of the kingdom and how powerful that growth is. Uh, is. Interesting uh, that uh, the kingdom is referred to as yeast here. A lot of times we think of leaven or yeast as being bad, and it's not bad. It's not good either. It just depends on how you use it. Uh, here in Matthew 13, Jesus speaks of, of leaven or yeast in a good way and says a little bit of it works through the whole batch of dough, and that's how the kingdom is. Uh, it works through everything. Uh, it grows like the mustard seed does into a large uh, plant. Um, and so let's go back to that parable, though, of the wheat and the weeds, because Jesus explains it, starting in Matthew 13, verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. I was in a club at Oklahoma Christian College years and years and years ago, uh, and uh, 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 it was a religious club. Everyone could join. It wasn't a social service club. Um, that was Alpha Gamma Omega, which amazingly enough, 
We started in 1975 and it still exists. Go figure. Um, but this was a club called the Harvesters. It was a men's religious club. The women's club was called the Gleaners using these agricultural metaphors that Jesus uses. Um, and so verse 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. So this is not really a parable about what's going on right now, though it applies to that, but it's a parable that talks about what's going to happen at the end of the age. The Son of Man, verse 41 of Matthew 13, will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Well, it's interesting that Jesus talks about exactly what things are in this parable of the wheat and the weeds. Um, and, I, and I think it's really interesting how they, they both grow together. And we get it. In this life, we get it. Uh, in this world, there's wheat and there's weeds. Uh, God plants good seed in good soil, but we also know that Satan plants seed of a different sort. And, um, and, and sometimes that, that seed takes. And so we get that. We get that. Um, and so Jesus says, look, there's, there's wheat and weeds around. Uh, and, and that's the nature of the world. We've talked about that. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, look, it's going to be rough. Don't think that because you're following me that your life is going to be so much better and all of the problems of the world uh, will go away. You'll have extra problems because of your faith uh, that people of the devil uh, don't want to take part in. Um, but Jesus says, continue on. In, in John uh, chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in the world you will have trouble. Uh, but I've told you things so that you these things so that you can be at peace, uh, because I've overcome the world. Well, it's not that 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 we don't have weeds around us. We do. It's just that we have the faith that Jesus will overcome and that He will grant us the victory. It may not be like the world sees it. Uh, it may not be the way the world measures it. Uh, but um, but that's what God has called us to do. I see. Our friend Sasha, my friend Sasha has joined us all the way from Ukraine. God bless you, brother. It's so wonderful uh, to see that you're here. And a very dear friend of mine and fellow preacher, co-worker, Don Klepp. It's great to see you, brother, as well. Uh, we're in Matthew 13 talking parables, uh, talking specifically the parable of the wheat and the weeds. One of the most interesting things about this parable to me is that Jesus says, let them both grow together. Don't worry about doing the angels' jobs for them. And I think that's important in this parable. It's important in the parable of the net that we'll see later on, um, where all the different kinds of fish, good fish and bad fish, are, are caught. And, and Jesus says, you know, at the end of the world, God will sort through things. You don't have to do that. Uh, that that's not your chore. Your chore is to be good soil. Uh, your chore is to be wheat. Your chore is to, is to grow well and to serve me. And, and yeah, there are going to be others around that aren't going to be very faithful and, um, and that are going to try to actually uh, destroy you. But just like Paul said, you know, I'm not going to worry about people's motives. In Philippians 1, he said, I'm going to let God take care of that. I'm going to be glad and thankful when Christ is preached and rejoice in that, actually. And let God look at the hearts because I can't tell. Uh, let God judge which is wheat and which is weeds. 
because that's, that's above my pay grade. That's not my chore. My chore is to be faithful. My chore is to be good soil. Uh, and so Jesus says, let both grow together until the harvest. God's got this. He sees and he knows, and it'll be okay. Um, and, and he wants you to follow him. Uh, and the angels will be really good at their job, uh, but you won't be all that good at it. And so he says, let the angels do that work of separating the wheat and the weeds. You continue uh, to, to obey my word and to be faithful to me. Well, a few other parables here before the end of, of chapter 13. Um, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, as the old translation says, the, the very valuable uh, pearl. Um, and again, it's their kingdom parables. Jesus is talking about the value of the kingdom, so much so that if you find that treasure in a field, uh, then you buy the whole field and it's worth your while. Why? Because the treasure that's buried there is so great. When you find that very valuable pearl, that pearl of great price, you sell everything you have to buy it. Why? Because it's that important. And Jesus is telling us, look, again, the kingdom of heaven is more important than everything else. Seek first that kingdom. Seek first that pearl, that treasure, uh, because it's, it's so much more valuable than everything else. Um, continuing on in Matthew 13, verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. I referred to this a moment ago. That was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then, then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. Now Jesus is gonna explain it. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, it's like, it's like the parable of the wheat and the weeds. At the end, Jesus will take care of this. He'll sort things out. He'll, he, he'll know which is wheat and which is weeds. He'll know which are the good fish and which are the bad. Um, and he'll sort through all of those things that you don't have to worry about, about doing that. You keep doing your part. Uh, your part is to, is to preach the gospel. Your part is to live the gospel. Uh, to be that genuine servant of Christ uh, in the midst of a world that doesn't see that very much. And you can do that. I believe very strongly that we are to have strong convictions based on this word. And I think we can have those convictions and I think we can practice those convictions and I think we can even share those convictions. And I think we must do all of those things if we're going to be faithful. But I think we can do that with humility and not arrogance. I think we can do that with a sense of, I'm, I'm a sinner too, um, and I stand away from God and condemned uh, to that place of ultimate destruction, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, as Jesus says, uh, were it not for the blood of Christ. That's the only thing that separates me. And so I think as we, and yet at the same time, um, our understanding of this book is limited because of our humanness. And I think we have to acknowledge that, and I think it's okay. I think it's okay for us to admit I could be as Fonzie said. I may be He had trouble saying that word. Uh, we should not. Um, I'm a human being. I'm limited in my understanding because of physical limitations, because of experiential limitations. Um, time and place and experience. And so, yes, I could be wrong, and I grant that. However, this word is the inspired and authoritative word of God. And so we study it, we do the best we can to understand it, 
and to apply it, and then we must obey that. Um, that's all we have to go on. And so we must do that, and we must share that as well. We can do that openly, but with um, an openness that remembers our own humanness and that is willing to acknowledge, hey, I don't know everything. I could be wrong, but here's what my understanding is, and I think that you should consider it. Um, and I think that that's how we should approach, approach that. Um, Jesus goes on and talks about uh, the treasures, new and old, just as he did the wineskins and the, the, the new wine and the old wineskins and the new patch on an old garment. And, and I, again, I think Jesus is saying what he says here, which is, look, you need some of both. You need old and new. You need to have those uh, old ancient uh, words that, that we have in the Gospels and in the Scripture and be willing to hear the, the old understanding and the old application and the old study, but also be willing to consider um, today's understanding as well. And, uh, and for example, with our worship, have, have those great, wonderful classics that I love so much that I was raised on uh, in the 70s uh, in church at Lackland Terrace in San Antonio, but also some of these wonderful new contemporary songs of praise as well. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Remaining faithful to the word because it's the only inspired and authoritative uh, guide that we have. But remembering that some things will uh, be culturally different uh, today than they were when Bill first became a Christian. Um, now, 46 years ago. Um, and, and so I get that. The word doesn't change. Uh, but as we consider... Uh, how to spread it um, as we consider the message that our world needs to hear of it today, and it does need to hear it, uh, then we can learn from what Jesus says. And so Jesus goes on, and again, uh, there's reference to his family as the people of his hometown. Uh, he, his hometown was Nazareth in Galilee. His home base was Capernaum in Galilee. Um, and so the people that were very familiar with him had trouble uh, understanding how he could be this, this Messiah, this, this Christ. Um, Messiah meaning anointed one in the ancient Hebrew and Christ being the Greek version of that, uh, of that same term. And so they ask in verse 55, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Again, it's hard to, it's hard to see the difference. And, and they didn't get it, I think, while Jesus was alive. Um, but as we said earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, James is one of those mentioned uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 as one who saw the Lord uh, resurrected and it changed his life forever. Jude likely as well, uh, the same uh, thing. And so Jesus says uh, at the end of verse 57, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and his own home. Um, and, and so he didn't do very many miracles there because of their lack of faith, which is an interesting statement because sometimes that doesn't have anything to do with it. But in this case, um, it did. And in this case, Jesus was willing to uh, only go so far uh, with them. There are other parables that will come up. There are other parables in the in the Gospels. Again, I did a whole series of sermons on the parables. You can see them at our website, westerwin.com. 
uh, under our, our tab that goes to uh, uh, media resources under live streaming. You can click on that and click on the archives. And in the summer of last year, in the summer of 2019, I did a series of sermons on the parables. And I did, um, I did individual uh, stories, uh, uh, modern day parables as well. Some of you that are from West Irwin will remember that. And I will tell you the one that I did with the parable of the sower and the soils. Remember four different kinds of soils, one sower. And so the question is, what kind of soil am I? And, and so I talked about how Chick-fil-A was thinking of expanding, finally. And, and building another restaurant in Tyler. And so they, they looked at four different locations uh, and, uh, and, and only one of them was the best location. And it just so happens in my parable that that location was right up the street from our house at the time, which I thought was exactly as it should be. Uh, now we've moved a little bit. And so we're still close to a Chick-fil-A, uh, but certainly I believe that more of them would not be a bad thing. Um, Okay, before our time runs out, uh, great to see some of y'all on here. Monica, wonderful to see you. Marissa, love you and your family. Great to see you here. Uh, my old friend, Greg Howell, uh, uh, just great to see you, brother. And Sharon, what a wonderful servant she is. Uh, Jenny, I saw her name pop up earlier. Lots of, lots of great folks that are, that are watching, and some will be watching later. You can watch these later. Uh, un, under archives because it will be there, it will be on my Facebook page posted uh, after today. Um, and so this story from, John, from Matthew 14 about John uh, the Baptist, we've seen him, Mark's gospel kind of starts with him. Um, but this very sad story that really impacts Jesus uh, that's also seen in Mark chapter 6. Um, Matthew 14, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And so he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. And so if this was a, a movie, then we would say, okay, we're in the middle of a flashback here uh, because that's, Matthew is recording this. And remember, Matthew is writing decades after this happened, perhaps uh, 20 years, perhaps 30 um, and it's all happening in real time as Jesus is, is going through all these things. Matthew is reflecting upon it later and writing about it later. And, and so he's talking about an event uh, that, uh, that really previously happened. But as Herod hears the stories about Jesus, he's thinking that it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. Well, we didn't even hear about how John the Baptist died. Okay. Uh, this is the story, starting in verse 3 of Matthew 14. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. If you want to do some study on the, the, uh, the family and house of Herod, that's a, that's a pretty involved story. Um, John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her, speaking truth to power. That's what John the Baptist did to the Jewish leaders uh, to the secular leaders. Uh, King Herod was associated with the Jews, but was understood by the Romans to be the, the power there in that land. Um, and, uh, and, and John very, very clearly told him, look, um, the sanctity of marriage needs to be upheld even by famous, powerful people. Um, and as we have seen before, Jesus uh, affirmed that traditional uh, understanding of marriage that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the creation of the first man and the first woman. Uh, John believed that as well. And so he challenged 
uh, King Herod. Uh, Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet, which he was. Verse 6, on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias, his, his wife's daughter, danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Herod made a rash vow, just like Jephthah in the Old Testament book of Judges did. And I think in this case, it's better to take responsibility for the sin of making a rash vow than to compound that with another sin and doing something that God forbids. I think that's what Jephthah needed to do. I think that's what King Herod needed to do here. He should have said, hey, I spoke out of line. Uh, I'm not willing to give in to this, and I repent. Instead, he didn't want to lose... Uh, uh, his position with those that he was trying to impress certainly didn't want to go against the will of his wife. And so he had John the Baptist beheaded in prison. And then they went and told Jesus. And I think the next verse or two is very significant and it gives us an idea, another glimpse into the heart of Jesus. We see it in John 11 when he uh, is about to heal Lazarus, his friend, and he sees his friends, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and their, their, their tears, and Jesus wept in John 11. Even though he knew he was about to raise him from the dead, his heart was broken uh, because of the, of the terrible price that sin has caused our world uh, to pay. And so Jesus hears about the death of his relative, um, John the Baptist. They go back to uh, being in the womb. Uh, when John was in the womb and Jesus was um, uh, going to be born later of Mary and Mary goes to see Elizabeth because she hears that her older cousin or aunt is, is finally pregnant and she goes and John leaps for joy inside of his mother's womb because, um, and his mother Elizabeth says, how, why am I so worthy that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? That's how far back Jesus and John go. And then John announces Jesus coming, baptizes him, is in prison, sends word to Jesus, I'm, I'm still here in prison. Are you really the one or should I wait for somebody else? And then John is killed. In Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, that John had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus wanted to get away. He wanted to mourn. He was hurting because of the death of John, and not just because of the death of John, but because in some way, I'm sure, I'm sure Jesus remembered what he had come to this earth for. And it's one thing for him to tell his disciples, hey, the Son of Man will be betrayed, and I'll be convicted. I'll be turned over to the Romans by my own people, and they'll crucify me. But on the third day, I'll rise from the dead. He told his disciples that several times. But when he hears of John's death, I think it becomes all that much more real, just like it would with us. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. 
Right when Jesus needed to get away, was trying to get away, the crowd still came. How would Jesus respond? When Jesus landed, verse 14, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. But he didn't just heal their sick, he fed them. He tells his disciples in verse 15, this is a remote place, it's getting late, give them some food. And they, they say, are you, are you kidding? <laughs> we don't have much, five loaves of bread and two fish. Um, John tells this same story as Jesus is using this little boy's lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish, if it's the same instance, and, um, and feeds thousands with it, and then says, I am the bread of life. Um, Jesus says in verse 18, bring that little boy's lunch here to me. And he directed the people to sit down, and they, he took the five loaves of bread and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And he gave it to everyone uh, to eat. And there were 12 basketfuls of bread that were left over that they collected. Um, an amazing event. An amazing event, just like Jesus calming the storm, just like Jesus walking on the sea, as we'll see on Thursday. This great story of not just Jesus, but Peter walking on water in Matthew 14. Uh, Jesus heals the multitudes here. And all of these things are meant to go along with that great and splendid teaching that we've seen today as well in the parables and in other teaching. Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he claimed that ultimately. He told his disciples that's who he was. Um, even the demons understood that that's who he was. And now it's up to you and me to believe that, to hear that teaching and to obey it, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to uh, seek to be that good, good soil. Whatever's coming between you and the Lord today, I pray, I pray that you will put it behind you and that you will put Jesus and his kingdom first. And if I can help, please contact me. Um, Facebook message me, uh, send me an email. Let me know. Uh, and I'll be glad to help and to encourage and to pray. And I ask for you to do the same uh, with me. Let's close today in prayer. Father, we confess that we're not always good soil. And we pray that you would forgive us. We confess that sometimes we put things before you and your kingdom and your righteousness. And we ask for you to forgive us. And so, Father, now we, we pray that you would help us each day to seek to be that good soil. Uh, to seek to be those good fish that you'll gather and that will be with you forever. Uh, help us, Father, to be faithful no matter the cost, just as John was, and it cost him his life, just as Jesus was. And so, Father, bless us. Help us to um, be encouraged by the wonderful stories that we hear from Jesus and to be able to apply them in our own lives and to be willing, Father, to humbly and yet faithfully uh, share them with others. Father, thank you for being our loving God, our good, good Father, as the song says. And thank you, Father, for saving us through the blood of your own Son. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. God bless you all, my friends. I look forward to seeing you Thursday at four o'clock, uh, Thursday at 4 p.m. We'll see if Bill's uh, laptop works next time. Who knows? God bless.